Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad that you are here today and humbled, as always, that you are listening. I am especially excited about my guest today. Amanda Chrisman Larson is a content creator, a mom, and a grandmother who recently decided to follow her passion for travel and become a digital nomad. She's been a human rights advocate, a magazine editor, and a newspaper reporter, among other life paths. She has so much more to her bio and to her story, but I want it to come from her. So welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks. It's great to be here, Brie. I'm so excited to have you on. So will you just first tell everybody the question that I ask (laughs) all my guests on the podcast is, how old are you? I am, oh, it's a big number. I'm 50. I just turned 50 in September. Well, you know what? They say that women are, or people in general, not just women, are the least happy at 47.2. So you were on the upswing. So that's awesome. <laughs> so 50, that's that's something to look forward to, right? <laughs> I'm just going to tell myself that. But yeah, actually, it hasn't been bad at all. It's been pretty fantastic. I just need to get over the number. Right. Exactly. Okay. And where are you right now? Right now I'm in Bali. Uh, I'm in a city called Ubud in Bali, uh, which is on the eastern side. It's up in the mountains and it's pretty fantastic. Oh my gosh. Well, that is a huge part of your story that I'm so excited to dive into, but let's kind of start more from the beginning. (laughs) It sounds like when we talked earlier that you had kind of a challenging childhood one that involved some difficult relationships with your mom and you had to move around a lot. But from high school, you go on to college. You go to Iowa State, actually. And just a year later, you find out you are pregnant with your first son. Right. And not long after that, the father of your son actually ends up dying in an accident. So much. And it sounds like all of this just really shapes the trajectory of your life thereafter. Oh, it really did. Um, I think actually all of my 20s were about figuring out what life was like uh, without being toxic, I guess, um, which is, I hate that word, but <laughs> I, I didn't know how to do life. I didn't know how to interact with people in a healthy way because I didn't grow up with that. And so I, I really made my mistakes um, early on and I made a lot of them. And I was with someone who was <laughs> busy making his mistakes too. So, you know, we got pregnant at 19. Um, my son was born when I'd been 20 for a month. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who thought that I would fall flat on my face after that and that it would be, you know, that'd be it. 
But like so many other women who deal with adversity early on, we got through it. Yeah. And you actually go on to have two more sons. So you are in the three son club like me. (laughs) Um, And you end up having a 13 year marriage. And of course, a lot in between happens in those years. Uh Um, And there's so much to your story and so many layers. But I just want to start first with the writing, because that's such a big part of you and your life. You talked to me about how, you know, you know, having your son and all the things that happened when you were in your late teens, early 20s, that you didn't end up actually finishing college, but you dive into being a writer and it sounds like you actually got a job as a newspaper reporter. Is that right? <laughs> I did. And I'm not really sure if that's a, a great commentary on the news industry, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I actually did okay with that. Um, I've, I've been a writer my whole life and I, you know, since I was very, very young, I learned to read very, very young. Um, and I was always writing in school. I had teachers who encouraged me and it's always been an outlet for me. Writing has been so it was kind of a natural thing. I was trying to take any job I could get really in my early twenties. I was working as a manager at a video store back when they had those. And I saw an ad for a reporter in the local paper and this was before the internet. So it's been a minute ago, but we, <laughs> I applied for the job. He's the, the editor sent me on a um, an assignment. It was it was a terrible terrible story, but I wrote it anyway, and uh, and I got the job. So I became a crime and fire reporter and did that for nine years, and actually um, won some awards. So I did okay at it, and shockingly. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, and I love that you were like ballsy enough to to go for it. You're like, I'm going to apply for this job that maybe I'm not super qualified for. That's kind of my motto in my life too. So, you know, aim for like way more than you're qualified for. And I think really? that you, you, you rise to the challenge, right? Make it, fake it till you make it is what happened. My first story assignment I was out on, on a fire, my hands were shaking so hard because I was so nervous. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, and you end up doing lots of different things in your life. And by the time you get to your 30s, after your 20s, you are living in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You were married. Your husband was actually a police officer and life was looking pretty good for you. You had a booming online business and you and your husband just really had a lot of fiscal success, it sounds like. But then, you know, as everybody knows... Um, 2009, 2008, the recession hits Mm -hmm. and you were 37. You guys have three kids and you found that your thriving business suddenly comes to a halt. And it sounds like that just made you have to have some serious soul searching. So what happened? Oh, it did. It came to a grinding halt. Um, you know, through those years I had, started to define myself by what I thought success was. You know, we didn't grow up with a lot of money and I suddenly had a lot. And I had, you know, we had the nice house, we had the great cars, we had all the things. We could go on vacations. And in my mind, I thought that was success and that I had made it. So when all these things fell out from under us, like they did for so many people, um, at no fault of our own, it was all the economy, you know, I really had to figure out who I was beyond that. And so you know, it was really tough for a while. I was on um, anti-anxiety medication to get through the day and sleeping pills to get through the evenings. And, you know, I just knew I couldn't keep going with that and needed to find purpose. 
and you talk a lot about purpose um, in in your podcast, and I really like the things that you say and agree with them completely. For me, I sat down and just started writing a, a bucket list of things that I wanted to do throughout my lifetime, then things I wanted to do within 10 years and five years and two years. And I got really specific about those things. And that's really what kept me going. That's having just an idea of, okay, this is what I have to look forward to, and this is what I can accomplish. I didn't think about whether or not it was practical. I didn't, uh, I, I knew where I wanted to go, but I didn't, you know, outline how I was going to get there because I just didn't know. But I just felt like, you know, the more I did it, the, I felt like I could just make it happen and that it was going to. And I love that so much. And I just want to like pause a minute and kind of tell people that if you are in a place of kind of soul searching and feeling stuck, that this exercise of writing a bucket list where you don't give yourself any parameters is really fantastic. That you're not like, well, how am I ever going to do the thing? That you just write no holds bar all your dreams that you want on this bucket list because you can always go back and what I call edit it later. Okay, here's what's realistic in my life right now for two years. Here's what's realistic at five years, 10 years, 20 years. But I love that. And I just think it's a good reminder for people if they're not doing that to start doing it because it put things puts things at the forefront of your mind. And I always say you can have a micro bucket list in a macro bucket list. You know, your macro bucket lists are those big things and your micro bucket lists are the small things like. I know, for example, for me, I want to take this crabbing class, like learning how to catch blue crab. That's a micro bucket list. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it soon. I want that for you. <laughs> yes, right. But like, I think when you have a bucket list, it can be big things and little things. So I love that. And you talked about with me how when you went through this list, there was really a theme. What was that theme? There was something on every single one. It seemed kind of wild at the time because I didn't know anyone doing it, but I wanted to go to Africa. Um, when I was growing up, you know, early on, we were big uh, in, in the church. And I remember the missionaries talking about their trip to Africa when I was very, very young. Um, and that made a big impression. And then, you know, we all grew up in that we are the world era and the you know, help for Africa and all that in Ethiopia. And I didn't know anything <laughs> about Africa other than, you know, where it was. I didn't know uh, geographical boundaries. I didn't know differences in countries, nothing. I just really felt drawn to go. I love this. And at this point, you know, you're a mom of three, mm -hmm. you're married, but right. you feel so drawn. It's such a powerful draw that you go to your husband and say, this is what I want to do. And yeah. it sounds like he really helped you make that dream come true. So talk about how you ended up going to Ghana and really how it changed you and your life purpose. Well, yeah, he was incredibly supportive. And I, you know, I give him so much credit. We both did a really good, we're not together anymore. But at the time, and even still today, we both did a great job of letting each other be who we needed to be and become who we needed to become. And you know, I told him I had this dream and I honestly didn't think it was possible because, you know, like you said, you tend to go back and edit. Oh, well, this is what's practical. I actually would encourage people to not do that because you just don't know the doors that the universe will open for you that make it happen. It's probably some way you didn't even think of, but it happens. And um, so he was incredibly supportive. You know, he had a quad and some binoculars that he'd use for hunting that were worth quite a bit. And he sold them so that I could go. And uh, I joined a volunteer organization didn't know anything about it. And then now I know too much about it. 
<laughs> but I went to uh, teach in an orphanage, um, teach English uh, for a month. And, you know, my it was so life-changing, so life-changing. And um, my poor husband thought I would go and then have it out of my system and be, you know, moving on to the next thing. But I ended up going back for nine years. And uh, I started my own organization before I left the first time. And my goal was to bring volunteers and actually, you know, know where the money was going because so many volunteer organizations, uh, the money just is like a, it's this big pit and it goes to things that don't help people in the long run. Um, and it's, you know, it's just really, I learned a whole lot about what helps and what hurts when people go to, you know, countries where they think they're going to help and think there's this big need that they're going to fulfill. What it ends up being is a cultural exchange more than anything because, you know, these people have been living the way they are and are so much better at it than we are <laughs> coming from the U.S. But but there's still so much positivity that can come out of it. So I did end up um, starting my own organization and over time learned about the issue of child trafficking in Ghana and where children are literally sold into slavery and uh, really got up close and personal with some of the villages that were doing this, the very, very, very poor villages where you know there's no running water, there's no electricity, you know, no sewer, nothing like that. So it was really eye-opening experience for me and really tugged at my heartstrings. And I had a passion before, but by the time you know I'd been doing this for a little while and really learned about it, I felt so purposeful in what I was doing and just really wanted to make a difference. And I, I think that I did in a lot of ways in my time there. Yeah, I just love that. And I think, you know, just want to point out that for a mom to be able to go for a month like that, like that's so incredible. And I think any mom listening really can appreciate what a gift that was. Oh, it was. Yeah. And that, you know, how much it changed you and it shaped you and it changed the lives of many people um, in all those villages. And that's just really so incredible. And you're probably right, you know, like, don't go back and edit because your big dreams are worth it. And it sounds like that's what you went for. You're like, I'm not just going to go for a week. You know, I'm going to actually go for a month and then I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to actually start an organization. And it sounds like you were actually working full time. You know, you're momming, you're being a wife Mm -hmm. and you're running this organization and going, you know, every year to Africa. Is that right? Yeah. I was going a couple times a year actually. And, you know, it, it was it was huge for me. But, you know, something you brought up in your um, in your last podcast, I think it was your last one about purpose, is one of the biggest things we really need to think about is the example that we're setting for our children. You know, at the time, I think there were a lot of other women in particular who were critical of me for leaving my kids behind, you know, with my husband. Um, and we, we had a, a really great agreement. He was out of town a lot, too, when I was home and um, with his job. And but my kids got to go to Africa a couple different times and they really learned that they're not the center of the universe, (laughs) which I think we, you know, we want our kids to be really important, but they're not the center of everything. They learned empathy and they learned that they could make a difference because they saw it firsthand. And I think to this day, they're very, very caring men. And I think they see their place in the world as being greater than what they ever would have seen um, without that example. I love that. And the episode that you're talking about is episode number 34. If you guys haven't listened to it, it is a good one on purpose. And, you know, to take that one step further about, you know, the example, it's also they saw their mom chasing her passion. I think so often our kids just see us 
like leading our kids towards their passions and telling them you can do anything and then we're not doing it. And so for you to go and do that, it invites your children um, and other women that do this to also go after their own passions and live their dreams and set that example, which I think is so important. That's so true. And, you know, we're very into empowering our girls, especially now, because, you know, they weren't Mm -hmm. empowered for so many years. We tell them they can be anything they want to be, but there's always this caveat of dot, 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 until you have your own children. And then you're supposed to give up your entire identity and all your passions and everything and focus solely on them. And to some degree, yes, we do have to do that. But I also think that we have an obligation to be good examples for our daughters and for our sons, because there's just so much in the world that we're here for. I mean, we're all created with purpose and we're all created with these passions, these things that really light us up inside. And whether it's for animals or whether it's for Africa, I mean, (laughs) there's such a (laughs) large spectrum, but we're supposed to do those things. That's why we're here. And I, so often I see, you know, women friends who have just put their lives on hold. And then once, you know, we're all at this age now, our kids are grown or they're growing and they don't need us as much, but then they don't know who they are after that. And they don't know, you know, what those passions were that they even had to begin with. And I just think we need to focus a little bit on maintaining those because we do have them for a reason. Absolutely. And believe me, I am hearing from a lot of women that are in that place. And somehow over the years, I think we've celebrated women to be martyrs. And like you said, that criticism that you received, I've also received that um, in regards to my travel, despite the fact that my husband, you know, at one point was gone 200 days a year for work, you know, <laughs> some me yeah. going one week somewhere to another country, people would be like, oh my gosh, yeah. I can't believe your husband lets you do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a double standard. It, it really it is. It really and, is. Yeah. And I hope that the generation that we are raising is going to change that narrative because they see us doing the things and doing all the things. And like you said, our kids are important. They are the most important thing to us, but they are not us. We are our mm-hmm. own people. And I love that in your story and in your life, you've been that, like you've chased who you were. And it sounds like you roped in one of your girlfriends to also chase another dream. And you decide to ride bikes across the U.S. <laughs> yeah. to raise awareness for human trafficking. Is that right? Yeah, because why not? We- <laughs> <laughs> I love everything about it, except for that I don't want to ride a bike. <laughs> Well, actually, I had never ridden a road bike. I'd only ridden a mountain bike, and so I had to I had to buy a road bike for it. But but yeah, we <laughs> I actually met some um, some people in Ghana who had ridden from Spain to Ghana uh, to raise awareness about human trafficking. They ended at a home for rescued child slaves. That you know it was a a friend of mine who was running that there. So we ended up being there when they came in, and it was just such a cool thing. And I thought, well, why don't we do that? I think there's such a need in the U.S. and there's so little awareness. And it ended up being this giant, um, it wasn't just about Ghana, it was about worldwide human trafficking and including within the United States. So we paired, we partnered with different human trafficking organizations from within the US and we had stops on the way, we had uh, press conferences, we talked to newspapers, we you know did everything that we could to raise awareness. And it was, um, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it was also one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. Oh my gosh, Amanda, you need to write a book. <laughs> I'm too busy writing for other people right now. Oh my gosh. Well, that's your next, 
thing. Yeah, oh it's gosh. a thing. It's a thing. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. And then, you know, this not finishing college, I must have been, you know, something that was on the back of your mind in your lifetime because you end up hearing about a scholarship from Larry Fitzgerald, who, for those of you listening who don't know who that is, I did not. <laughs> it was is the Cardinals quarterback, right? Well, he's a he was a, a wide receiver for for oh. the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. See um, exactly exactly why I shouldn't be talking about anything having to do with sports. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's amazing. He's a he's one of the best players in NFL history, and um, he's he's known it throughout Phoenix for being such a um, just a good guy. Um, and I was it was late at night. I just finished a deadline, and I was just browsing the internet, and um, I this. I don't even know where it was. I think it was a Facebook ad or something that came up for this scholarship. And I, I thought, you know, why don't I just go ahead and do that? I was in a writing mood. It was an essay contest. So uh, <laughs> I, I submitted it like two in the morning and, you know, hit something out real quick, 500 words or less probably. And I ended up getting it. And I was so excited because despite everything that I had already accomplished, there still was this thing of what was expected of me. And I had never finished college. And I, I just, uh, it was something that was kind of over my head a lot. I had, you know, that imposter syndrome that I think a whole lot of us have for different reasons. I always kind of felt like I wasn't quite adequate because I didn't have my degree like everyone else did. So it was a big, big, big opportunity for me. And how old were you when you started to go back to college? Because you actually had quite a bit left. You had like three years, right? Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> I forgot how old I was for you. I think I was 40. I'm pretty sure I was 40 when I went back, somewhere right in there. Well, the only reason why I ask you that is because I'm like, I feel like people a lot of times get to a point and they're like, well, but it's too late for me. And oh, no, I just no. want to remind people listening, like, no, if you have this thing that has been on your heart or in the back of your head, like you can still do it. There is still time. And you're an example of that. I was going to say, I hope I'm a giant testimony of it's never too late because all these things are, you know, so many things are things I should have been doing, you know, if I, if I were being normal, I'd have been doing them when I was 20 and, <laughs> but instead I was raising kids. So I did a lot of things backward, um, but no, it was not too late at all. In fact, because I finished up my degree, I, it opened up some doors that, kind of convoluted to explain, but it, it actually opened up doors that led me to what I'm doing now. And I'm so grateful because it couldn't have happened without that, I don't think. That's awesome. Okay. So at the time that you're in college, you are, you know, you're obviously still a mom, you're mm -hmm. working full time, you're running a nonprofit in Africa. <laughs> I mean, this is like a lot all at once. It was a lot. <laughs> you, you told me a couple funny stories about like, being in Africa and trying to turn in assignments, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had deadlines for it. All my my uh, education was online, so we had all these deadlines to meet. But I was, of course, on a very, very different time frame than everyone else was because I was, I think, seven hours ahead at the time. But in order to get internet in the village where I stayed the most, um, I had to sit in this. There was only internet. You could get it if you were in front of the primary school underneath these mango trees and there would be like goats and chickens all around and I'd be sitting in a plastic chair with my computer <laughs> trying to knock out assignments. It was crazy. And then at one point I was traveling in Ghana and I was staying at this place is called uh, Hans Cottage Hotel. And it's a, it's a hotel on a lake and their thing that they do is raise crocodiles. 
So there's all these crocodiles all around and I had to get my assignment in and I couldn't get internet anywhere in there. So I had to go up on top of a hill and to get up the hill, I had to follow a path along the lake that had crocodiles in it <laughs> and then go up the, the mountain a little, like this big hill a little ways. So I was pretty sure I was going to die and uh, I didn't. <laughs> You're here to tell the story and you turned in the assignment. <laughs> I the assignment in two and uh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's crazy. And anyone that's like traveled in the third world can appreciate these just like wacky things that happen that you're like, um, and here I am just like tracing next to the, you know, crocodiles. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, I, I'm still, I'm still in touch with that teacher. In fact, I, <laughs> I think he was so impressed that I went to such great lengths to get a good grade. That oh my gosh. <laughs> still- I love it. I yeah. love it. Okay. So about the time that you go back to college at 40 is when you and your husband decide to divorce. And I know you said it was really an amicable divorce, yeah. Um, which is great, but it's a divorce nonetheless. And you actually make a decision to go back to your original roots in St. Louis. And you say that this is when you do your normal momming, right? Like you actually become a hockey mom. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I ended up in back in St. Louis where I was born and um, really, really tried to do the normal thing. Originally, I went to my hometown, uh, which is a small town south of St. Louis, and I really struggled because, you know, throughout my life, I'd had these, well, first of all, I was, you know, I didn't follow a regular path in any kind of way, but uh, I just didn't have anything in common with anyone. And as nice and wonderful as they were, it was really a struggle to fit in. So I ended up moving to the city and just really did the normal things. But I did. Um, I, my youngest was still in school and I tried, you know, being involved in, in the band boosters and PTA and all the things that, you know, I, I always thought I was supposed to do. And uh, and it was it was great for a while. And I'm really glad that I did have that time uh, with my youngest, especially. And um, but then when he graduated, I felt lost because I had never been completely alone my entire adult life. He was my youngest. He was out of the house and he went off to college and I wasn't in a relationship. So it was just, you know, it was just me on my own. And um, that was a real, you know, people talk about chapter two um, in terms of that. And that's very much what it was in the empty nester thing. And it was a tough adjustment. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I would say, do the work now so that when your kids do leave the house, you're not going through, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And dealing with the you know, heartache of your kids leaving the house at the same time, because it is, it is a lot. And I know you talked about 2018 was really a pivotal year for you, like a really yeah. big standout year. Um, you actually were airbnb your house back in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And at that time you had traveled some more and you talk about having people from other countries in your home, you know, that you were offering the Airbnb to. And you talk about this one distinct moment that you're sitting there and you're cutting up sweet potatoes and you say something out loud to yourself. What was it? (laughs) I did. I had actually, I had a guest from the UK there. I had just had guests from Norway and I'd met all these people who were traveling and working full time. And so I, I decided I wanted to do that too. So I was, I was chopping sweet potatoes. I was making sweet potato hash in the morning. And I said out loud, I'm going to be a digital nomad. And I felt such a certainty 
when I said it and just uh, just like afterwards, like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And I had no idea how I was going to do it because my life at the time did not look like it was going to be conducive to anything like that. <laughs> but oh my uh, gosh, I love that. Yeah. And I think, gosh, I just remind people, say out loud the thing, like the more you say it out loud, the more you are likely to walk towards it. Yeah. And the more it seems possible. Yeah. And so you say this out loud. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're like, I'm going to do this. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm going to do it. But you know, COVID ends up happening. And so it ends up taking you about four years to actually make it happen that you're going to be a digital nomad. Right. Yeah. And you talk about how, you know, even though that was, that was challenging that you couldn't go and do it right away, that that time just by yourself during the shutdown was really important and helped you kind of be able to live the life that you're doing now as a digital nomad. Why was that? It really did. And, you know, I talked a little bit about how hard it was to be alone. And I had never in my life felt comfortable being alone. Even when I traveled by myself um, before to Ghana, I always had people around. So being stuck in my house with just my dog, my poor dog got so tired of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> looking at me like, when are you leaving? Um, but <laughs> but um, just not having that, you know, that interaction with somebody every day and not having that mirror that we all look to each other for really took some adjusting. And I had to really get comfortable with being by myself. I was very uncomfortable at first and it was extremely hard. And I, I you know, felt depressed. I felt anxious. I felt all the things that people feel. And, uh, but then over time I started to kind of get in a routine with myself and I started to feel very comfortable in my own skin. Um, to the point, I mean, like before I wouldn't have gone to a restaurant by myself, for example, and, and just, you know, felt comfortable sitting there at a table by myself. And now it's second nature. And not only do I do that, but I end up talking to everybody around me. So it's a, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a mixed gift, but yeah, uh, it's a gift for me, maybe not for them, but it's been really great. And now here this whole time, this last six months that I've been traveling, I'm completely fine by myself. And I feel really, really confident and comfortable in who I am. And that's just something that couldn't have happened had I not done the work and taken the time to get used to that and be comfortable with it. I love that. And just to kind of, you know, back up before you actually go and take off, you end up interviewing for a job in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And you talk about how at the interview, you say something out loud to the boss, I think. <laughs> and again, I think it's like that same thing of like, say it out loud. So what, what was it that you said? Oh, it was actually pretty risky. Um, it, he made uh, what I'll call the mistake of asking me what my perfect job would entail. And out of my mouth came the words, <laughs> I want to work from anywhere and make my own schedule. And as soon as all that came out of my mouth, I thought, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I blew it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and his next words, he said, okay, well, let's make that happen. And I about fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think I bought a lottery ticket after that. But um, because I had said that early on, when it came time for me to, you know, to actually take off and do this, what I'm doing now, when I told him, he was okay with it because he'd already known from the beginning that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that's just a great reminder of like, if you want something to ask for it, because you can't get it if you don't take the risk and ask for it. So yeah. that was really, like you said, it was, it was kind of risky, 
but it paid off and probably gave you kind of that little impetus to be like, okay, now I, now I can do this thing. Yeah. And it sounds like January of this year, actually, you decided it's official. I am going to <laughs> move abroad. I'm going to pack up all my things. Um, so did you sell your house? Like, what did you, how did you make this happen that you're like, oh. okay, I'm going to pack up all the things. It was big and it was crazy. Um, I decided it was in January and my lease was, I got the, you know, the, the memo from my leasing office at my apartment that in my, my lease was going to be up in April and they just wanted to know if I was you know, planning on renewing and all that. And I got that and I was looking up at it, you know, on my way up, up the elevator. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this now. It's the perfect time. It's not ever going to be a better time. And before I got off on my floor, I decided that I was just going to go ahead and be a digital nomad. And again, I had no idea how I was going to do it. I didn't have that much money saved up. I didn't know that my boss was going to let me do it. Um, there were so many factors that were not in place. And, you know, it was just, like everything else, incredibly risky. But yeah, I just made the decision to do it. Wow. And so you pack up two suitcases. That's what you said. You put the rest of your things in storage and you have these two big suitcases. And you first start off with a month in Ireland, then a month in Thailand. And eventually this July, July 2022, you end up in Bali. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Bali has just really claimed your heart. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, you bet. And, and actually, just to go back just a little, I had two suitcases. I sold most of my stuff. I have a nine-foot nine storage area, but I had two suitcases, and the airline lost one of them. On my oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't think you told me that. That's crazy. Yeah, so I usually have one suitcase of stuff. But yeah, so Bali, I wasn't going to come to Bali. I thought it was so cliche, you know, the whole eat, pray, love thing. I, I just didn't want to be, you know, one of those people. <laughs> and so I do. I <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm always trying to take the route that, you know, I forge a new path. I don't know. You're so, right. But I originally was supposed to go to Vietnam in July, and I had a, a place booked for the month, an Airbnb, and um, Airbnb canceled it on me. I have no idea why, uh, but I hadn't had my flight booked yet. And I thought, well, where else can I go? Because my, my, my best friend had actually had a bad dream about me going to Vietnam, so she told me I couldn't go. So, <laughs> and of course, you know, dreams are real. So I listened to that, but, uh, <laughs> but I ended up, um, a friend of mine said, well, you know, I have this friend who went to Bali and they just really loved it. You might want to try it. So I looked and my flight was actually pretty reasonable and I was looking at prices for, you know, month long stays and it, it seemed pretty reasonable. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Uh, why not? So I did, I got here in the first month. I, I planned on being here for two months. My first month, I was on the coast in kind of the western part of the island, and it was very uh, rural. There weren't many people who spoke English, and I kind of wanted that because I'd had that when I was in Ghana and a lot of the places, and I just missed it. So I ended up uh, really kind of digging into village life way more than I anticipated, and I my host was actually a priest, and so I got invited to all these ceremonies and things that were not normally tourist places and they definitely weren't touristy but uh yeah I just really dug in there and it was really really it was great but it was really hard and then I ended up the second month I had booked in Ubud where I am now and as soon as I got out of the taxi here um I felt something very different and people everybody who's here 
there's this like this common thing we all say Ubud is magical and it just is it's got this energy about it and this it's a real center for um, the arts and for education uh, in Bali and in Indonesia and it's just wonderful and I've met so many fantastic people here uh, local people primarily but you know a lot of travelers too and it's I, I, I can't describe it I'm I live now I will be here for six months in total this is my fourth month I'm just starting my fifth and I'm living in the rice fields um, in the northern part of the city and there, it, there's a lot of traditional stuff out here. There's no cars out here because there's no road. It's all a footpath where you can take a motorcycle, like a motorbike or footpath. And it's just phenomenal. My host is wonderful. Uh, her name's Pringa. She's 45. She's kind of in the same part of life as me, but her kids are a little younger. We sit around and talk about everything you could possibly imagine. And um, neither of us really drinks a lot of alcohol. So we, we drink beet juice and we pretend it's wine. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's been been wonderful. I've connected with so many people and I, I just... I don't have the words to describe it other than it really is magical. And this is probably, I still have a lot more traveling left to do, but this is probably where I'll end up. I think I'll retire here. I just love that. And a million years ago, I bought the Bali Lonely Planet. And (laughs) after our conversation, I remembered that. And obviously I never went hearing you talk about it and how magical it is and seeing your pictures and everything. I'm like, I need to get there. And I'm sure, you know, when people start following you and seeing your adventures and your pictures that they're going to feel the same, it looks like it is magical. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, you know, clearly you are not leading a conventional life, you know, especially for a 50 year old mom, right? So (laughs) grandma, grandma, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. So will you just talk about how your kids reacted when you were like, yep, I'm up and moving. What did they say? I have got the best kids in the world. I just want to say um, anyone else who has good kids, mine are better. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, no, but really, they were all uh, very supportive. I was most concerned. You know, I, I'm close to all my boys. Um, my middle son is the one with two daughters, and they're now expecting twins in April. And I was really concerned about him thinking that possibly I, I didn't want to be part of his daughter's lives growing up. And when I told them about that, about, you know, my concerns and, you know, after I told them this was what I was going to do, they just kind of shrugged and said, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. We have always known you've been the traveling Mimi and that's who you're going to be. And, you know, and then my daughter-in-law just chimed in immediately and said, well, you know, I'm hoping we can visit you someday. (laughs) So, and and I think that's true. I, in just like I always thought about the legacy I was leaving for my own sons. Now it's my granddaughters who I think about. And, you know, I didn't have a role model who did a lot of travel, but also I didn't have a role model who really followed their passions and dreams. And really that's what it's about for me as I want them in addition to my sons to see that this really is possible and that, you know, we, we don't have to make our lives small just to fit in. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good message. And you and I had chatted about how in my episode number 32, it's the one where I talk about being in the hurricane during the retreat. I talk about this kind of like icebreaker, you know, fun game where you go around and you ask each person, if you could do anything you want, what would it be? Every time you answer it, you say something different. And you talked about how when you heard this, you were like, I'm doing it. 
Yeah. And I was, just like love that. I'm like, go you. It was so great. And, and actually, that was kind of my internal feeling too, was like, oh, dang, look at this. I am doing this. Like, there's really nothing that I have in my life that I'm like, oh, I just wish I could do that thing because I'm doing all the things. And it's, it's just the coolest feeling. That is the coolest feeling. And I'm sure there are a lot of women listening that are listening with envy because they don't feel like they are, quote unquote, doing it, like living the thing. So what advice would you give to that woman listening that feels like, gosh, I want to feel like that? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't want people to feel like that. I want people to look at me and say, wow, this is possible for me, too. Um, because, you know, first of all, I really see so much value in women empowering other women and being happy for other women when they do the things that, you know, that make them happy. And there's so many women who I just want to, you know, just give a big hug and say, just you can do this, too, or you can do whatever that thing is that you want to do, because it's not as out of reach as we're taught to believe. And really, it's crazy that when you put that intention out there, you speak it out loud, you write it out loud, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you can live it out loud because the universe really, really does conspire to make it happen for you. And it it might not be in the way that you anticipate. In in fact, you shouldn't really plan what that's going to look like, but it's plan the goal and the rest of it falls into place. It's just the most amazing thing. And it's the, the coolest secret about being human that I <laughs> I think I will ever realize. I love that. And when you are done listening to this episode, I hope that you pause this and say out loud what you want your dreams to be. And your dreams might not be like Amanda's to live in another country, but whatever your dream is, what's been on your heart, say it unabashedly out loud. Because like Amanda said, a lot of times the universe falls into place to make that happen for you. Yeah. And Amanda, I think so much of your story, your journey has been seeing what you wanted with your dreams. You know, it started with Africa, then the bike ride, then with the job. I mean, it's just been this whole cycle of like saying what you wanted and being really clear on it. You know, your goals, your hopes, your dreams out loud. So I think it's so fitting that your Instagram is Amanda Lives Out Loud. (laughs) I love that. And is that the best place for people to follow your journey? That's a good one. Um, I also have a writer page on Facebook. It's Amanda Chrisman Writer. And it's, uh, I I try to put original content on there as well. (laughs) But yeah, those are the best places definitely for now. Yes, right. Your story. There's so much more to your story. Yes. Well, and I will be sure to link both of those in the show notes. But thanks so much for being here. I am so grateful for the story and so incredibly inspired. And I hope that all of you listening are inspired as well. Me too. (laughs) Well, thanks to everyone for listening. If you can so kindly tell a friend about the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. The more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. I hope you have a beautiful day, my friends, and that you live out loud. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.